The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Well, grace and peace to you this morning. Uh, We're glad that you're here on this Lord's Day. If you have a Bible, you can be opening it to the book of Acts, and uh, we're continuing a a study of this important book in the New Testament, and we're working our way through it. And this morning, we're in Acts chapter 12, and we're going to look at, again, at a sort of big chunk of Scripture, uh, and an interesting story that happens in Acts 12, and and try to unpack that um, this morning. And so, Acts chapter 12... We're going to begin reading in verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him... He put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. But thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him, And did not find him. He examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Our 
text this morning is, is interesting on several levels. Uh, people have divided the book of Acts in different ways over the years. But most have noticed that, there, that uh, it can be divided this way. The first part of the book focuses on the apostle Peter. And the latter part of the book focuses on the apostle Paul. Chapter 12, uh, what we've just read part of this morning, is Peter's exit. Peter is the first great leader of the church. Uh, he preaches that famous sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. He gives direction and advice to the church. He, he welcomes the Gentiles into the church. And then he shows that they're welcome by sitting down and having a meal with them. And so Peter is everywhere in the first half of the book. And then all of a sudden he vanishes. Luke says, then he departed and went to another place. And that's it. The Bible never says where he went. Uh, some believe that he traveled to Rome, but we simply do not know. Luke leaves it a mystery. Well, what caused Peter to leave in such a hurry? Why might he not want anyone to know where he was going? Well, the truth is, this is a dark time in the life of the church. When you are a, a small movement, you go unnoticed. When you're not making a big splash, you kind of sort of fly under the radar. But when your movement takes hold, people pay attention. And this is what's going on with the church here. At first, they were just a ragtag group of believers and no one just even worried about them. But since then, thousands have been baptized. Peter, Stephen, and others have continued to preach. And the message has gotten out. The church has been doing good deeds. They've been reaching out to others. They're no longer an anonymous group of believers. They're no longer invisible. People know who they are. And this is good, but it can also be bad. People are hearing about the church. They're learning about Jesus. This is great. But there are others who do not like what the church is doing. And so they are committed to stopping the church any way they can. And this is a dark passage because it begins with violence and it ends with violence. And people with power often use that power to their own advantage. This is why power is so dangerous. It is a great temptation. When we have power, we are tempted to use it to benefit ourselves rather than thinking of others first. Even worse, we are tempted to use power to hurt those who have hurt us or to seek revenge against those who have done us wrong. And this happens to the best of us. It happened to King David. He used his power to seduce a woman who was married and to have her husband killed. None of us are above temptation. Herod Agrippa is a powerful man. And he uses that power to wreak havoc on the church. And so he begins by killing James, the brother of John. He then goes and he has Peter arrested and thrown into prison. And we later learn in the chapter that even Herod's own men 
are not safe. They're punished for something that they could not help. And so Herod is a man full of rage and vengeance. And no one around him is safe. People are are dying everywhere. We think that we live in a dark world. And we do. Our world is filled with violence. People are just just as corrupt today as they were back then. Uh, People still abuse power every day. Uh, The world can be quite dark. But as followers of Jesus, we do not belong to the darkness. We may live in it. We may be surrounded by it. But we are children of light. And God is aware of what is happening And he is working in our lives to bring light and redemption to a world that does not know him. And although there is this epic battle going on between the forces of light and darkness, we're reminded here to take a moment and to enjoy the small pleasures of life. And one of the greatest pleasures of life is laughter. When we can smile and when we can laugh... It just seems to make everything better. It lifts our spirits. When we laugh, we are filled with joy. Laughter can be a weapon for good. The innocent laughter of children is a powerful thing to behold. It is pure. It is a laughter that does not recognize evil. And it reminds us of all that is right in the world. And when we refuse darkness and choose to laugh, we're bringing light into the world. Our text this morning is dark. Herod is doing all that he can to get rid of the church. People are being killed. People are being captured. It's not pretty. But in the midst of this dark passage, Luke provides a funny story. After Peter miraculously escapes from prison... He shows up at the house where all the Christians are gathered to pray for him. He knocks on the door and a maid comes to answer. And she recognizes the voice of Peter. But she gets so excited that she forgets to open the door. And she runs back to the others and and Peter is left standing outside with nothing that he can do. Now, this doesn't seem to be an important detail. There are lots of other details that were not given in the text. But Luke seems to include this story because it was a funny thing that happened in the midst of the darkness. And we have all probably had similar experiences. We've been at a funeral, we've been at the hospital. The circumstances are dark. Death and sickness are all around. But in the midst of the darkness, something funny happens. Maybe someone tells a funny story. Maybe someone does something silly like leave an important guest waiting at the door. And those moments may seem small at the time. But those are the moments that we remember. They stick with us. They help us get through the difficult situation that's right in front of us. And those moments are special. They're a blessing 
They're, they're a little gift from God. And Luke reminds us of that here. These are moments that, that should not be ignored. They're so important that Luke preserves one for us right here in Scripture. It's a moment that brought joy to the Christians on that day. And it continues to bless Christians as we hear it again and laugh in the darkness along with those believers who are gathered in the house of Mary. This story is also important because it shows the church as it really is. Uh, The Bible is never afraid to show humanity in its true light. The flaws of the great heroes of the faith are never hidden. Abraham lies. Jacob deceives. Moses murders. David commits adultery. Peter denies Jesus. Scripture never attempts to hide these shortcomings. And this is true of the church as well. The church is presented in Scripture as an imperfect group of people trying their best to follow Jesus. Now, sometimes we're better at this than others. But every letter that Paul writes to a congregation is addressing some kind of problem. Sometimes the problems are many, as in Corinth. Other times, it may just be one problem that the church needs to overcome, as in Philippi. But Paul never once writes to a perfect group of Christians. And this is important for us to understand because somewhere along the way, someone began the rumor that the church is flawless. And this takes a couple different forms. Sometimes Christians believe the church is flawless. And so we become afraid to confess our sins and admit our mistakes. When we come to worship, we put on a mask. We pretend to be someone we're not. We argue with our spouse in the car on the way to worship, but once we get here, we're all smiles. And this is dangerous because... The church is supposed to be the one place in the world where we can be totally open and honest with one another. The church is where we find forgiveness. Do you know that we are all bound by Scripture to forgive one another? This is a requirement. A requirement for every one of us. If you mess up, if you sin against me, then I am required to forgive you. I have to do it. This is not a guarantee that you're going to find in, a work, in the workplace. This is not a, a principle of the Lions Club or Rotary. This is what we do as the church. We come together because we know we're not perfect. And the church is the one place that we find forgiveness. Sometimes we'll run into this idea that the church is perfect in the world. And so people who are not Christians uh, use this against us. They call us hypocrites uh, because they think that we claim to be perfect, but they know that we're not. And this is unfortunate. But we should use this opportunity to explain what the church really is. I like what uh, Rich Mullins, a famous Christian songwriter, some of his uh, songs are in our hymnal, 
what he has to say about this. He says, I never understood why going to church made you a hypocrite. Because nobody goes to church because they're perfect. If you've got it all together, you don't need to go. You can go jogging with all the other perfect people on Sunday morning. Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself, to your family, to the people that you pass on the way there, that you don't have it all together. And that you need their support. That you need their direction. That you need some accountability. That you need some help. And people need to understand what the church is really about. Because everyone needs it. None of us are perfect. We all need Jesus. We all need the support of our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we continue on this Christian journey. We get a good picture of the church in the book of Acts. Right after Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Thousands are baptized and added to the church. And in Acts 2, 44 through 47, the church is doing everything right. Uh, This is a description of what the church should be. But it doesn't take very long for problems to arise. And in Acts chapter 6, there's a disagreement between the Hellenists and the Jewish Christians. Um, They're upset over uh, the care of widows. Last week, we noticed how how some of the Jewish Christians were upset because Peter was eating with Gentiles. In chapter 12, we find the church praying. King Herod lashes out against the Christians. He kills James, the brother of John. He has Peter in prison. And the church responds as it should. They turn to the most powerful thing at their disposal. They pray. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Bad things are happening to the church. People are being persecuted. People are being murdered. People are being thrown into prison. And the church responds by dropping to its knees. If anything can stop evil in our world, it is prayer. And the early church understood that. And as they are praying, Peter is visited by an angel. And so their prayers work. God hears them and he sends help. Peter is freed from prison. And the first place that he goes is to where the church is meeting. In verse 12, we learn that the church is still praying. They haven't given up. They are prayer warriors. And Peter knocks on the door and he's greeted by the maid. But she forgets to unlock the door and let Peter in. She's so excited that she rushes back to tell everyone the good news. What they have been praying for has come true. And this should be cause for celebration. But notice how the church responds. They say to Rhoda, the maid, you're mad. They think she's crazy. They think, well, you know, you've probably seen an angel or a ghost or something like that. 
They believe that Peter's dead. But Peter keeps on knocking and eventually they let him in. If they think Peter's dead, why are they praying? In the midst of persecution, the church does what it is supposed to do. They turn to God and pray. But we learn that it is not a prayer of faith that they offer. They don't believe in what they're praying. Their prayers are not faithful. Again, Luke is not afraid to present the church as it really is. And you know it would have been easy just to leave this little detail out. Just make this a a nice story about how prayer works. And prayer does work. It, It works here. But Luke also lets us know that it's not a faithful prayer. So what are we to make of this? After all, James, the brother of Jesus, tells us that it is the prayer of faith that will save the one who is sick. God seeks faithful prayers, not prayers of doubt. We know this. But we also know that at times, we pray with our head and not our heart. We pray because we know it's the right thing to do. But we're not convinced in our heart that it will happen. We have doubts about whether or not the cancer will recede. We have doubts about whether or not our loved ones will get better. We have doubts about whether or not we'll get the job that we're seeking. We pray because we know it's the only thing we can do. But we're just not sure it'll work. And this is not supposed to be the way it's done. But maybe, just maybe, God understands our weaknesses. He understands that we are a work in progress. He understands that we want to believe. But the darkness is great. And the threat is real. And maybe, just maybe, God answers our prayer to give us the strength and courage to carry on. He doesn't have to do it. But we serve a gracious and merciful God. And He, more than anyone, knows that Christians are not perfect. This is why he sent his son. He wants to help our unbelief. He wants our lives to be better. He offers us the forgiveness that we so desperately need. And all we have to do is accept it. I said that the church is not perfect. And that is true. But there's more to the story. The church is not perfect because it is made up of human beings. We bring our flaws to the church. We bring jealousy, pride, anger, envy, unbelief. On and on and on it goes. The church has problems and shortcomings and issues. 
not because of anything coming from God or Jesus, but because of us and because of who we are. But at the same time, Jesus died for the church. He gave his life so the church would be covered by his blood. The church as it is, is not perfect. But the church covered by the blood of Jesus is perfect. It's not perfect because of anything we have done. It is perfect only because of what Jesus has done. And this is good news. And this is what we must take with us as we enter a broken and fallen world full of sin. There is only one answer to the problem of sin. And it is a God who came to this earth, who took on flesh, and who willingly went to the cross. He did what we could not do. And for that, we should be thankful. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning as sinners. We confess our shortcomings, our flaws, our sins. Father, you know our hearts. Although we often fall short of your glory, you also know that we desperately want to be like your son. And that we desperately want to do all that is right in your eyes. Father, help us to be the people that you would have us to be. As we reflect on our sinfulness, we are reminded of the greatest gift that was ever given. We're reminded that we cannot do it on our own, but that you sent your Son to die on our behalf. And although we're not perfect and never can be, we're thankful that your son's blood makes us perfect and makes us whole. And we're so thankful for that sacrifice. I pray this in his name. Amen.